There's an island off the north coast of Germany called Heligoland. In 1994, off the northwestern coast of that island, a body was discovered, with injuries that suggested foul play. Wearing smart clothes and expensive shoes, he was given the name The Gentleman. But nearly 30 years later, he's still unidentified, and his killers have got away with murder. Welcome to the mysterious case of the Gentleman of Heligoland, one of Europe's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 14 Seaman or Demon Thanks for your patience. It's been a while, but it's great to get back on the case. When we left episode 13, the German authorities had declared themselves certain that the man whose body was found in July 1994 had originated in Australia. Indeed, some newspaper reports I've read from the time claimed the mystery had been solved. Now, the mystery hasn't been solved. The body had been exhumed at the end of 2021 and analysis had been conducted at Murdoch University in Australia and some universities in Europe. Those samples seemed to confirm that the man had spent much of his life in Australia. The problem was, if they were relying on lead isotopes, then there was a danger of misinterpretation as petrol across the whole of Europe had Australian lead added to it throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. So everyone who lived in Europe would show traces of Australian lead. Of course, scientists are very clever people. They should be aware of that. But it still troubled me though. Now, through my German contact, a senior reporter at Die Zeit, I was put in contact with a senior scientist at the Institute of Legal Medicine in Munich, in Germany, who had worked on the case. And she in turn put me in contact with two scientists from the University of Amsterdam, who are the experts in the isotopes of both lead and strontium. And they were able to explain further. And it was fascinating. This is the email I received. Dear Mr. Davis, you would like to know why the man is possibly from Australia and not from a country where Australian lead was used. We are comparing the lead isotope data from the teeth and bones with modern human lead isotope data that we've collected in a reference database. The lead isotope composition is very specific and very different compared to the dozens of other forensic cases we have conducted in the Netherlands and Germany, examining individuals from the Northwest and Eastern Europe. This is because lead in the environment represents a mixture of lead pollution from all local industrial sources, as well as the local geology. This is why data from different countries can overlap. The data of the man from Heligoland, however, are only comparable to the reference data from Australia. The total number of reference data is not extensive, around 500 people, but sufficient to be representative. 
Our investigation therefore provided the police with a possible additional clue to continue the forensic investigation in a certain direction. Determining with absolute certainty a geological or geographical origin from only strontium and lead isotope research is not possible in almost all cases. It's ultimately a combination of data that will be valuable. Our data combined with the other isotope data, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen from German laboratories, as well as the forensic evidence, must have convinced the German police to further investigate an Australian origin. Best regards. Now that makes much more sense to me. They weren't relying solely on the presence of Australian lead, but their ability to compare the profile of lead isotope presence in different countries. It was the comparison to the sample data, not the presence of Australian lead, that was suggesting an Australian origin. That's a subtle but very important difference. But that last paragraph is troubling. According to the scientist who worked on the case, you can't be certain of a geographical origin from strontium and lead isotopes alone. It needs other data to confirm that, the carbon, oxygen, nitrogen isotopic data. So whilst the lead isotope profile suggests Australia, it shouldn't have been enough to convince the police that Australia was the only origin possible. So I still want to do more on this, to be completely sure. He may well have been Australian. That would be great. We're completely neutral on that. But I just hate closing other possibilities prematurely or without absolute proof. What we do know, that even if he was Australian, he must have spent time in Europe or the UK to end up dead in the North Sea. Now, since the last podcast, Ian's made a very interesting discovery which he's been digging into. So, Ian, uh, long time since we uh, did this on The Gentleman Had a Go Land, but since the last episode, I think you've discovered quite an interesting tale that might be worth just exploring in a bit more detail. I have, yes, I have. And interestingly, there's not a lot to find in the newspapers, although you'd think there would be. Um, And I am uh, very grateful to a a YouTube video that was put together by a lady called Zoe Spinette. Okay. Um, to get some of the quotes, for example, I'm going to use some of, the, some of the, the detail in there. She'd done a lot of research to pull everything together, and I don't need to reinvent the wheel as long as I thank Zoe for having done all of the hard work for me. But it's a fabulous tale. I mean, it should be a film. Right, and presumably it's happening in the right place at about the right time. Absolutely. I think, um, just to qualify it, I think it might be a month or two too early, but then that is close enough because we don't know any any super accurate dates. Oh, I wouldn't worry about a month or two. Uh, I mean, the, the North Sea can be freezing cold. It can, it can completely change uh, body decomposition calculations, I think. Uh, no, I certainly wouldn't worry about a month or two. So, let, well, I, I shall tell you. It's, I'm, I'm intrigued. The Bearble mm-hmm. was a German-registered 90-metre-long coaster. Okay. Generally working 
in the North Sea, Germany to UK, etc. On August the 15th, 1993, it set sail from London with a cargo of rapeseed to Rostock in northern Germany. Yeah. It's captained by Henrik Tellman, commanding a Russian crew of five. Tellman doesn't sound Russian, so presumably he's a different he's a different nationality. He's German. Okay. He's German. Yeah. Okay. Captain Henrik spoke to his wife the morning of setting sail, and it was all lovely chit chat. Looking forward to seeing you. Nothing reported of any concern either with the boat or with the cargo or with the crew. Three days later, eighteenth of August. The Bearbel is found drifting 80 miles off the west of Denmark by two trawlers. Now, just, just, just hang on, because 80 miles west of Denmark is very close to Heligoland. Well, it is quite close to Heligoland. And in fact, I mean, they're aiming to get to Rostock in northern Germany, which is, means they probably have to sail right past Heligoland. Yeah, you would. Home. You would. Um, but anyway, it's found abandoned on the 18th of August. Um Nobody on it at all. Wow. Uh, and that is way off course from where it... So it's been abandoned for a while and drifted a long way off course. It's only been at sea three days? Yeah. Okay. It was an eight-day mission, if you like. So they've got to do loading. I think it's only going to take them three days to get back. Hmm. So it's found abandoned about when it should have been landed. Okay. The first reports are that there is blood everywhere on this boat. Uh, signs of a huge struggle. The, the ship's been set alight in various places deliberately, but the fires haven't taken hold. So there's blood um, everywhere, and there's been an arsony attempt. They then find the sole survivor, uh, one of the Russian crew called Andrei Lapin, floating about a mile away from the boat in a lifeboat, in one of the ship's lifeboats. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a load of cash with him. Right. Two suitcases, his passport, a duvet, all of his papers, and six tins of peaches. <laughs> okay. And it's, report- it's reported that when the uh, rescue helicopter comes to, to pluck him from the North Sea... Mm. He's quite reluctant to be rescued. He doesn't want to be rescued. Right. Now, they take him off to, uh, I think because the boat's German and the captain was German, they whiz him off to Germany to be be investigated. Initially, Lappen reports that that a fire had broken out on the ship and he had jumped into one of the life rafts and the rest of the crew and the captain had jumped into another of the life rafts and then over time, they've drifted apart, and he's got no idea what's happened to the rest of the crew. But just, just to just to clarify, there were no people on the boat when the boat was found. Correct. Okay. When they investigate the ship, they find, uh, as I said, evidence of a huge uh, altercation. It's a slaughterhouse, effectively. They find blood. They find hair. They find bone fragments. They find bits of scalp mm. over the inside of the boat. The forensic team, the forensic team said, "Here we met a sight I will never forget. There was lots of blood, 
for Lappin had used the ship's crane to hoist the corpses up from the bottom of the ship. And when the bodies were tied by the legs, the blood simply ran out of them. They reckon Lappin was the murderer. He's the only one still alive, Ken. So that's, that is certainly... Um, <laughs> and he has managed to get $60,000 into his... Uh, Interesting as well. Sixty thousand dollars he had with him. So this wasn't three hundred. Correct. The captain's cabin was found ransacked. On the floor lay the ship's empty cash register, which should have had about sixty thousand dollars in it <laughs> to pay you well, for ongoing expenses, but also to pay the, the crew. crew at the end of the voyage. He was charged. Lappin was charged with the murder of all five, and he pleaded not guilty. He then thought he'd better change his story. His revised story was two of the crew could attack the captain and the other two crew members with axes. Lappin, hiding, then had to kill the two killers just to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Fearing Nobody would believe this story. He dumped the bodies into the sea, set fire to the ship, and escaped in the dune. With the money? He goes around and gets his papers, he packs two suitcases, he's got a big pile of money, and then gets into the dinghy. And Did he have an explanation for the money, or was he just kind of keep it? Was it safekeeping kind oh. of thing? His $60,000, hmm. he said, was his from a a previous business deal mm -hmm. that remarkably was about the same sum that was carried in the ship's cash register to pay the crew at the end of the voyage. <coughs> Excuse me. Lapin cooperated. Uh, uh, we very polite, very calm, uh, answered all of the questions. And the investigation on board, remarkably, supported his new version of the events. Signs of where individuals had been killed that, that he gave tallied with exactly where forensics said people had died. Now, right. the only body that was ever found... Oh, there was a body found then? The only body that was ever found was the captain's, who weeks later um, was dredged up in, a, in fishing nets. Right. But... Because he wasn't one of the two that Lappin said that he killed, there was no evidence that of no evidence to disprove the the story that Lappin had had given that the captain had been killed by two of the crew by, by two of the crew members. Yeah, oh, sorry, the other four crew members still never found, but presumably somewhere in the North Sea, suffering from accidents, which. Which I mean, we've heard that uh, in the chest and on the head for the gentleman, there's some pretty devastating injuries. Maybe, wow. maybe tying in with that accident. This is happening about ten months before the body of the gentleman is found. Yeah, we've got four dead people. We've got four dead crew members. They are mm -hmm. machine, machinist Mikhail Mikhailov. Mm -hmm. Sailor Radoslav Bogdan, first mate Victor Varenko, and the chef, cook, Anatoly Smoliak. No sign of those guys. Now, 
I don't know how old those guys are. We need to try and find I out. I don't know how many of them were six foot six. Yeah. They are they are obviously um facts that we need to dig down to to see to, to rule anybody in or out. Now, if any of those bodies had been found, there might have been some evidence that would have meant that uh, they could better establish what happened. But mm. they weren't. Mm. And they're unlikely ever to be found because Lappin inexplicably weighed them all down before he threw them over the side. I was about to ask why the why the captain was found in fishing nets. So what I mean, do we know what he weighed them down with? Well, I don't know that. I don't know that. The wounds kind of match, the location matches, the time matches. Um, if they're weighed down in a deep part of the North Sea where it's very cold, yeah. the time the time can easily match. Oh, I don't I don't see any issue with the time. And the fact that he said, Yeah, I weighed these people down. Laff had said that there'd been a dispute between the captain and the crew over pay and working conditions. It's the day before they land, so maybe he's trying to pay them, and it's not yeah. much what they were going to get. The captain's wife, on land running the show while the captain's away on his boat, by the way, she's involved mm -hmm. in the business. Mm -hmm. She said he killed them all and then threw them overboard. That was her view. She recognised... On the rescue photographs, Lapin is wearing her husband's wristwatch on his wrist. Good God. I know. Anyway, after months of hearings, and there'd be no other evidence to put forward to dispute Lapin's story, he was acquitted of murder. Good God. He's still and out he there. And he was allowed to keep the cash and the watch. What? Which is incredible, I think. It gets even more incredible, Ken. Um, when the bear bull was cleaned up and due to go back out or working again, yeah, the captain's wife advertised for new crew, mm -hmm. top of the list of the applicants, Andre yeah. Lapin. <laughs> Good God. Wanted a job back on the boat. He didn't get it. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Wow. Isn't that incredible so, story? I thought that was uh, very interesting. We, as I say, we need to find out the age and the height of each of the crew member. We've got their names. Now, here's a thing which we might try to do. Maybe we could find out what he weighed them down with. Maybe yeah. Because we got access to talk to Andre Lappin. What? Andre Lappin is alive? He's alive. He's a, he's a, he actually took a job, he's in Cal he's on Kaliningrad, which is the bit of Russia that sticks out above Poland, yes, not connected to Russia. Yeah. He's a, he's a diving rescue man. He's got more than 250 successful missions. He's been decorated. He paints in his spare time, something he took up once he was in a, when it was in jail, arrested. And he's got a website where we can go and commission a painting from him. The point is that we can talk to him. As you know, the lovely Lara mm -hmm. would be able to talk to him in Russia. Well, I suggest that is something that we try to do before the next episode. I think we should try and do that before the next episode. That's incredible. So, look, uh, now, just to kind of put it in the context of the gentleman, the wounds 
were probably similar, i.e. the wounds in that fight could well approximate to the wounds found on the gentleman. We know he's sailing towards Heligoland or around the Heligoland area, that they are, if they're going that way. And certainly we know, even if he didn't get as far as Heligoland, the tides take you over that way. We know each of the bodies, we believe each of the bodies was weighed down, which is amazing. And the time corresponds to what a body would look like after the intervening period between the Babel, or this incident on the Babel, and when the gentleman was found. So that's incredible, and an incredible find. Brilliant, brilliant work. A couple of things that obviously are out there as outliers is if we if the Australian thing is working, if that's a thing, we don't know where they've been. Some of these people may have grown up in Australia. We don't know. I think the other interesting thing, obviously, we've always slightly discounted fishermen and people doing that kind of thing because of the attire that this person was wearing. But yeah. there's two things that are interesting there. One, they're... I don't think they'd be very far away from home when when this all happened. Uh, so someone might have been getting ready to go home and get and get not be in their gear. Secondly, they'd spent time in London, hadn't they? They had. If these clothes are secondhand, or if these clothes are these these clothes could have been acquired in England. Clearly, they could because they're all Marks and Spencer stuff. Yeah. Someone might um, have bought an M&S suit to go back home in. I don't think what uh, what they're wearing necessarily rules anything out because, as no. you say, it's right at the end of the uh, of the of the voyage. Maybe if they were getting paid and they had to go up to see the captain, you don't know how much of a stickler he is. You might you might want to put your good stuff on to go into the captain and get paid. I don't know, but I think that's a. That's a secondary issue. We need to see how old these guys were. We need to see if there's anybody who's tall enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we can argue that whether they're inappropriately dressed to rule them in or out at the end of that. But uh, I thought it was a fantastic tale. Incredible find. Incredible find. I'm so, I'm amazed these things turn up because, you know, we've been looking at this for a year now and, and then suddenly this amazing story comes up. Obviously, just because it's not really been reported in the UK press, has it? It doesn't sound like. There was a report in The Independent which I couldn't get far through without taking out a subscri subscription to The Independent, which I didn't want to do. But and as I said, there's a very good video by Zoe Spinett purely on this tale and all the details I've got, the quotes come from her YouTube video. How did you find um, it, by the way? How did you come across it? You just look at the going through YouTube videos and stuff. You know, you know our normal way of just stumbling around in the dark and tripping over something and picking it up and going, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, that was it, really. Amazing. Well, I mean, that's just staggering. Yeah, we need to, we need to get hold of... Uh, this guy, Andre Lapin. Brilliant. Hey, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, one final quick thing. Uh, obviously, we've been in contact and you've been in contact with the Isotope people. Any thoughts on that before be, before we close this conversation off? I mean, it sounds like they're fairly, fairly convinced about Australia, but I always like to dig a bit deeper than that. 
Yeah, well, I I don't know how much detail of their email response you went into, but in reading that, they they seem to distance themselves from being all in. Oh something. yeah, they're not all in. They're saying you can't you can't just use this as proof of someone from Australia. They're very clear on that. Well, uh, I reached out to um, Gareth, who came back and said, "Look, I don't think that um, we missed anything out. We can't really add anything to to what we said initially." And I said, look, I, I said back to him, look, I wasn't thinking that you were holding anything back. I was really asking whether you would find 10 minutes to talk to us so that we could um, we could just get a, from the horse's mouth what they've tested and what the implication of the results that they got were. Mm. Um, and I'm still waiting to hear back from Gareth. So if you're listening, Gareth. And, of course, there's the other, there's the other elements, strontium, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, Obviously, it seems like when taken as a total package, that made the police think he was from Australia. So I think we need to try and talk. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there may well be a mix. There may well be a mix of isotopes, which is virtually like a, a fingerprint, and it yeah, might, might they can't come from anywhere else. Yeah, but uh, but we don't know. We need to talk to them. At the moment, all we've all we've been told about is the lead isotope. Yeah, and in our previous investigations we'd found that theory meaning from exclusively from australia being discredited in in the us so i think we just want to drill down with them to see if if we can do that here or if we can't in which case we're then looking for uh somebody who's missing in europe that was raised in australia yeah i think actually the whole australia thing if they are from australia uh great but they still went missing from around here they still went missing mm. from the uk or the north sea or the or the near continent kind of great but that's where they went missing from and they they probably could have been in that that, that region for years definitely cool all right mate that's brilliant thanks for that what an amazing tale uh i, I that's that's got this uh new leg of uh the gentleman of Halligo land off to a, a pretty amazing start we've got some work to do Yep, and one final thanks to Zoe. Yeah, she's she's done an amazing, amazing job there. Maybe we'll get to talk to Zoe actually. Uh, she well, may know more about the history of it all. All right, buddy, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon. Okey dogs, see you soon. See you, bud. Bye bye. What an amazing find, and what an amazing story. The Bearble and Andre Lapin. Right date, right location. By the way, Rostock, where the Bearble was headed for, is on the other side of Denmark from Heligoland. Heligoland is to the west of Denmark, Rostock is to the east. From London, you'd have to pass very close to Heligoland. And as we know, the captain's body was found to the west of Denmark, the Heligoland side. It's exactly the right place. The bodies are weighed down by the perpetrator and have wounds which presumably are very similar to the catastrophic injuries suffered by the gentleman. And there are four undiscovered bodies. But those names, they're Russian or Ukrainian, not Australian. And we currently have no idea on ages. The gentleman of Helicoland is believed to be between 45 and 50. And of course, we don't know any heights. 
which in this case is always going to be the deciding factor. But the good news is that we have a very good way of finding out from the horse's mouth, Andre Lapin himself. What an amazing conversation that'll be. It might not prove anything related to the gentleman, but it's still gonna be an amazing conversation and I'm very much looking forward to that. So we need to get to work organizing that for episode 15. So until next time, have a good one.